This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Come with me, please, to John's Gospel, chapter 13. John's Gospel, chapter 13. I'll give you the verse in just a moment. If you were asked to describe the essence of a soldier, what words would come to mind? Maybe courage, obedience, loyalty. If you're asked to give the essence of an athlete, what words would come to mind? Strength, fitness, Stamina. What about a servant? Fidelity, honor, industry, honesty. Perhaps an ambassador. Diplomacy, wisdom, tact, people skills. All these and more are metaphors that Paul used to describe the Christian. But Jesus narrowed it all down to just one thing. In Jesus' estimation, the essence of a follower of him is love. That's the essence. Verse 35 of John 13. By this all will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. New Living Translation. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So the title of my message tonight is The Essence of a Christian. Of all the words that Jesus could have chosen, he could have chosen a practical word, like servant. He could have chosen a theological word, like redeemed. But he chose a moral and ethical word like love. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So let's look just for a moment at the context of why he said that and when he said that. In John 13, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already entered into the heart, or any put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so Jesus, in this last few moments with his disciples before he would go to the cross, he gave them a tremendous illustration of true servanthood where he literally 
bent down and washed the feet of the disciples. And they needed that lesson uh, because the only thing was concerning them up to then was who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And so having then taught them servanthood, he goes on then to tell them about the betrayer, Judas Iscariot. And it shows us there, if you were, which we're not going to read, if I had to read on, you'll see how he went out then. Uh, the devil having entered into him went out and betrayed the Son of God for a paltry 30 pieces of silver. So that's the context. Jesus is telling them that shortly he's going to go away. And he says, where I go, you cannot come. At least not at that point. They would go later. But at that point, he says, where I go, you cannot come. And that greatly concerned them because they didn't want him to go away for a start. And for him to go away and they couldn't go with him. For three years, they had been with him every single day. Now he said, I'm going away, but you can't come. So that was a great concern for them. So let's begin reading here at verse 30. Well, verse 31. And when he had gone out, that was Judas Scarlet, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Firstly, notice here that this is a commandment, not a suggestion. It's an order, it's not an option. Now, you could imagine, of course, that when Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to give you a new commandment. You would automatically think that their ears would have picked up. And whatever they were doing or talking about, they would have ceased immediately. And they would have been all ears to hear what this new commandment is. But you'd be wrong. Because they weren't really interested. All they could think about, and Peter says, if we read on, Peter says, Where are you going? That's all he thought. Where are you going? He missed the whole point. Jesus, literally, in the last things he was going to say to them before he would go out into the garden, be betrayed by Judas, be taken off, be tried falsely, then be taken off again, be cruelly treated, and then finally nailed to a cross. Now, you would think that in those moments that whatever he says is going to stick and they're going to listen intently, but they didn't, and just right over their heads. Missed it completely and entirely. Secondly, notice that this is a new commandment. Now, it's not new in the sense that it's not as if they had never known to love one another. It's not as if they'd never known to love anyone. I mean, love's better than hate, isn't it? It trumps hate every time. It's better to save life than to destroy it. It's better to be honest than be a cheat. It's better to be faithful than be faithless. I mean, that almost goes without saying. 
But it's new, this commandment, in the sense that now love can be compared. There's a template for the love that Jesus is going to talk about. Now it can be measured. There's a, a standard for this love. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Here is the standard. As I have loved you. That's the new bit. And that lifts love to a whole different level. Not just ordinary human love. Every human being has got the capacity and the potential and the ability to love. All of us, without exception. But what's new about this is, he said, I want you to love each other in the same way that I love you. That's the depth of the love that you're to have one for another. That is a big commandment, isn't it? That's what's new about it. <laughs> they had never got this before. And in fact, at this moment, they're still not getting it because they're only interested, where are you going that we can't go with you? Jesus knew that that moment very soon he was going to be betrayed, he was going to be tried, he was going to be executed. And so knowing that time was short, but he literally just had minutes to spare, and then he would go out into the garden. He knew the betrayer had already gone. He knew the soldiers were coming for him. So those last few moments that he's going to have with them, what he's going to say has got to be the most important thing that they're going to hear. And it was. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, Jesus had taught about love before. Remember in Exodus 20, for instance, about the Ten Commandments. And we know that the first four commandments are Godward. You love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The first four are Godward. The last six are manward. First four is how we relate to God. The last six is how we relate to our fellow man. But Jesus then took those ten and he encapsulated those ten into two. In Matthew chapter 22, he does this. Verse 34, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus took the ten, he encapsulated them into two, love God, love your fellow man. Made it very, very simple. If we love God and we love our fellow man, wonderful. If we love our fellow man, then we'll treat our fellow man properly and rightly, we'll not lie, we'll not steal, we'll not cheat, we'll not commit adultery, we'll not do any of those things if we love God and love our fellow man. So you see how the ten is wrapped up in the two. In fact, in Galatians 5.14, Paul reiterates this. He says, for all the laws fulfilled, he says in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But notice how Jesus takes even that a step further. 
Now he says you're to love each other even more than you love your neighbor or even more than you love yourself. You're to love each other as I have loved you. So you, can you see the standard suddenly is raised, the bar is raised way up there. In fact, the bar is so high that we cannot do this except with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's not within us. It's not normal, natural love. This is agape love. This is the love of God in us. And boy, don't we fall short of it again and again and again. So this is not only a new commandment, it's a tough commandment. It's a difficult one. It challenges us continually. Challenges me, I know that. So Jesus now redefines this commandment with a new and daring, challenging one. We're to love one another, not even as we love ourselves, not even as we love our neighbors, but we're to love one another as Christ loves us. So that takes us way beyond our comfort zones. Because we all have comfort zones, haven't we? And don't we all, and I say all, I say me, don't we all limit our love? We put limits on it, don't we? To be honest, don't we? We limit it. Uh, depending on how we feel, depending on what somebody's done against us, depending what they did or what she said or what he said. So we limit our love. And we do that in church. We do that with our fellow believers. We limit our love. But God said, or Jesus said, you shall love your brother and your sister, let me add, the same way that I love you. So that's not easy, is it? That is without limit. That's really, really difficult. It's so hard, in fact, that you need the Holy Spirit to do it. I've told you several occasions, I'll tell you again, how Corrie ten Boom, who saved Jews in, in Holland from going to the death camps, and finally she and her family was caught. They went to the death camps. She was the one who survived. Years later, she's preaching in a big church in America, and she's preaching about the love of God. She's preaching about forgiveness. She's preaching about the love of Jesus in her hearts. And suddenly, she sees a man walking up the aisle, and she instantly recognized him as a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp. And she, he says, uh, Miss Ten Boom, you probably don't know who I am. She says, oh, yes, I do. <laughs> she never could forget him. And he had come to Christ. He'd become a believer. He says, God has forgiven me. He says, can you forgive me? This is what she'd been preaching on. And she says, at that moment, she couldn't do it. He put his hand out, and she says, I instinctively put my hand behind my back. I couldn't do it. All of that ill feeling just rose up. And she says, God, please help me. I can't do this. And she says, suddenly that scripture came to my heart that the love of God is shed abroad in her hearts by the Holy Spirit. She says, Holy Spirit, help me to love this man. And she says, immediately, she says, all that bitterness and all that anger and all that hatred just left me. And she says, I was able to shake his hand and say, I forgive you too. That's the sort of love that Jesus is talking about. Now, we'll maybe never be tested to that degree. She was, but we we'll probably won't. But it's relative, isn't it? It's relative to what has happened maybe to us or what somebody's done against us or whatever. 
So you can see this is no ordinary just five-eighths love. This is, this is way beyond that. This is loving to the measure that Christ loves us. Jesus loved us that much he was prepared to lay down his life for us and did it. That's the depths of his love to us. Greater love is no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Hmm. And so for the world to notice us as believers, they're going to have to see the love of God in us. They don't care how much Bible you know. They don't care how many times you go to church. They don't care how much you pray. It doesn't mean anything to them. But the love of God will mean something. And if we say we love God, but we hate a fellow believer, then we're hypocrites. And the world doesn't like hypocrites, sure they don't. The world would look at us and say, well, I'm better than you are. I don't hate anybody. Not like you Christians. Because <laughs> that's what they say. I mean, that's the biggest thing against believers, isn't it, from the world? All a bunch of hypocrites. And we know that if you lived a perfect life, they'd maybe still call you a hypocrite. But lots of times they're not far of the mark. <coughs> this is easy to talk about. It's easy to preach to. It really is. Really easy. It's a difficult thing to do, to live it. It's hard. It's tough. Only with God's help can we do this. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, said, And walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Ephesians 5, 2. The Apostle John, he's a really old man at this time. He's late 80s, maybe 90. He's writing these three epistles, his gospel, finally revelation. And in chapter 3 of 1 John, in fact, we read this this morning in another context when we were talking about, am I my brother's keeper? But I want to read further. Verse 10, he says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? But listen, nor is he who does not love his brother. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. A brother that used to come here years ago, he told me. He told me about his own brother-in-law. He says, I hate him. I said, I hate him. And he just nearly spat it out. I hate him. And he did. I took him to that scripture. I cut my Bible out and showed him that. I says, look, John says, you're a murderer. He says, I don't care. I hate him. 
Can you imagine that? Unless he's repented, my guess is he still hates him. That'd be a shot, wouldn't it? By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. For whoever has this word's goods sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does, he, how does the love of God abide in him? Ah, I see a brother in need. I know I can meet that need. But I don't want to. John says, really? And you're a Christian? Really? <laughs> you really? And he says, the love of God doesn't abide in you. My children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments, do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son, of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Hmm. The Apostle John was the Apostle of Love, you know that. And uh, he knows that his time is short, he's an old, old man. And the thing that he wants to leave with the church is this business of that Lord's command to love one another. In verse 7 of chapter 4, just across the page. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He, does, he, who, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. This, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Christ of God, God abides in him and he is in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. How many times does John keep reiterating this same thing? And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. By this you shall know that all men shall know that you are my disciples because you speak in tongues, because you go to the prayer meeting, because you go to church twice on Sunday, because you tithe. No, no, no. All those things are good and right because you love one another as I have loved you. Now, I can't speak on that without speaking in First chapter, First Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter 
1 Corinthians 13 has probably been spoken at almost every wedding that's ever been conducted in a church. It is the love chapter. But here's the thing. We rarely ever give the context for the love chapter. We read it, we preach on it, but we don't say why is the love chapter there between chapter 12 and chapter 14. I'm not being smart about that. Chapter 12 is speaking about tongues, speaking about the gifts of the Spirit, which the Corinthian church was big into, the most charismatic of all the churches. Chapter 14, again, is talking about the exercise of particularly of tongue interpretation within the church because there was a lot of confusion. And as we said this morning in another context, the Corinthian church, they were at war with each other. You know, they, there was all kinds of stuff going on, all kinds of issues were happening. And it came to the gifts. And I mean, they were just boastful about it and just almost using that against each other. You know, I've got this gift, and they've got that gift, and I can do this, and I can do that. So it was all about that, not about love, not about fruit. It was all about the gifts. And so therefore, Paul writing to them, trying to straighten them out, bringing balance to all things, that's why he puts 1 Corinthians 13 right in between those two chapters, dealing with the gifts and dealing with tongues. He puts it right in there to get the balance of the whole thing. So what does it say? 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. How many knows that empty cans make the most noise? And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. And we talked about that this morning. Love builds up, in chapter 8 he says. Knowledge, he says, puffs up. Well, these people were puffed up. They're puffed up with their knowledge. They're puffed up with their abilities. They're puffed up with their gifts. They're puffed up with everything. But he says, love doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. Love builds up, actually. Does not behave itself rudely. <laughs> Sometimes we say about somebody in Northern Ireland, they're pig ignorant. <laughs> And we know what that means. <laughs> They're just pig ignorant. Just rude. But it isn't easy for ourselves to be rude, isn't it? Isn't it easy just in a moment just to say, and we've all done it, I've done it, we've done it, we've all done it. We've just said something that we shouldn't have said. It was just it was just unkind, it was rude, it was not nice. But whenever we do that, we're not walking in love, Paul says. That's not love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, so it's not me first with love, is not provoked. Are you easily provoked? Have you got a short fuse? 
<laughs> hmm. A few smiling, I think there's a few short fuses. Not easily provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Do we rejoice in the truth? Do we love truth? You know, it's a tremendous attribute to have truth, to, or to be truthful, and to be able to speak the truth. But here's a problem. If you, if you haven't got love, even your, even your virtues become vices. Say that again. If you haven't got love, the love of God, even your virtues can become vices. These people here he's writing to were full of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Exercised them all the time. But they hadn't much love. So what was a virtue became a vice to them because they began to be puffed up with it and parade it and use it against each other. Well, I'm better than she is. I'm better than he is because I get this gift and they haven't got that. You know. so, so their virtue became a vice. And he's scolding them. He's telling them this. Do you, do you remember? Let me give you another example. Do you remember the, uh, the prodigal and how he, he took the father's inher his inheritance from the father earlier than he should have waited. The father died, but he wanted it because he just wanted to go and spend it. So the father gave it to him. He went into the far country and he blew the lot with wine living. But then he came to himself and he truly repented and he came back and there he was, broke, stinking because he was in the pig pen and the father just loved him and hugged him and kissed him and put a robe on him and a ring on him and made a big party for him. Wonderful story of the grace of the father God. But out in the field was the elder brother. And he heard the noise of the party and he was raging. When he asked who it was, he said, your brother's come home. Huh. And he goes marching. Yeah, the father says, well, why are you not coming? To? And he said to the father, he says, listen. He says, you never made a party for me. Let me paraphrase. I'm the faithful one. I'm the one out there working the fields. I'm the one who's industrious in this house. I'm not like that scoundrel who went off and spent all your money. No, no, he says, I've been loyal, I've been faithful, I've been hard working. Those were all his virtues, and he was all of that. Those were his virtues. But they became his vices because he didn't love. He didn't love his brother. He says, this your son. Not my brother, this your son. He had no love in his heart for the son who had come back. So his virtues became his vices. And, and we didn't watch it. Our virtues, maybe, you see, sometimes if, you, if, if God begins to use you, whatever level, whatever it may be, God begins to use you, and that becomes a virtue. God blesses it, anoints it, and you're good at it. You have to be careful that you don't get puffed up and you lose any sense of humility. You become proud because then it becomes a vice that works against you because there's no love in it. 
Verse 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. By the way, when it says thinks no evil, depending on your translation, it says keep no records of wrongs. One translation, keeps no records of wrongs. <laughs> of course, we would never do that. Sure, we wouldn't. We would never keep a record of a wrong. Bet you if we pulled out our final cabinet, how do we look in? It would be dated. He said that on that date. She did that on that date. And we're ready to pull it out at a minute's notice. It's funny how instant recall, isn't it? Huh? I told you before, one man says his wife, when they have a rise, she doesn't become hysterical, she becomes historical. She drags up the past. <laughs> <laughs> He says, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part that we prophesy in part, but then that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. But now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest is love. Ah. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one towards another. Let me just finish. I just read chapter 13. Let me just read it without comment from the New Living Translation, all right? If I could speak any language in heaven or on earth but didn't love others, I would only be making meaningless noise like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I knew all the mysteries of the future and knew everything about everything but didn't love others, what good would I be? If I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move without love, it would be no good to anybody. If I gave everything I have to the poor and sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, it would be of no value whatsoever. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way, is not irritable, it keeps no record of when it has been wronged. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Love will last forever, but prophecy and speaking unknown languages and special knowledge will all disappear. Now we know only a little, but even the gift of prophecy reveals little. But when the end comes, these special gifts will all disappear. It's like this. When I was a child, I spoke and I thought and I reasoned as a child does. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see, see things imperfectly as in a poor mirror. But when we see everything with, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. And that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God knows me now. 
These are three things that will endure, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Amy Carmichael, who was a great woman of God, if you've never read about Amy Carmichael, you should pick up a book or go on the internet and read about her. Tremendous, mighty woman of God. Here's what she said about love. If I take offense easily, if I am content to continue in a cool unfriendliness through friends, though friendship be possible, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Let me read that again, closing. If I take offense easily, if I am content to continue in a cool unfriendliness, though friendship be possible, then I know nothing of Calvary love. By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you love one another with the love that I've got for you. Tall order, isn't it? See why we need to help the Holy Spirit. It's not within us to do that, is it? But with God's Spirit, we can do it. And we'll be tested, and we'll be tried, and there'll be lots of occasions that'll come up. We'll have opportunity, maybe before the night's out. <laughs> maybe before the night's out. Great old preacher in America one time, he was driving home one night, he had preached several times that Sunday, he was tired, he was weary, and his wife was talking to him, and he snapped at her. And then driving along the road, he realized, no, that was, that was nasty. He says, darn, I'm really sorry, I, I shouldn't have snapped at you that way. He says, but, you know, I, I preached five times today, she says, I, and I listened to you five times today. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't in a very forgiving mood at that moment. <laughs> glory to God. <laughs> Lord, we bless you. We give you thanks for your great love towards us. Lord, where would we be tonight if it wasn't for your grace and love and mercy? So we thank you, Lord, that it is eternal. Your love never dies, and we bless you. So Lord, help us to have that quality of love in our hearts. And Lord, whenever our flesh wants to rule us, Lord, let the Holy Spirit take control and let the love of God be shed and abroad in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk